0: Section 9 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gray Clayton. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3 by George W. M. Reynolds. Section 9. Chapter 9. A Death Scene. Locks Fields. The room door was left open, and the inmates could therefore hear everything that took place in the passage. Tom Bunce opened the street door cautiously and said, Who's there? In the name of heaven, grant me a night's lodging, exclaimed the appealing voice of a female, if not for myself, at least for this poor dear child. Toby, shut the door, screamed the querulous tones of Mrs. Bunce from the back room. We don't want beggars and poor children here stay said tom rain never be hard-hearted and hastening to the door he saw by the light of a shop window opposite the form of a miserable-looking female crouching upon the steps and with one arm around the neck of a little boy who was crying bitterly come in my good woman said rainford i will pay any expenses that your presence may entail on the people of the house come in i say but the poor creature fell back insensible toby take care of the child Cried Tom Rain in an authoritative tone, while I lift the woman off the steps and suiting the action to the word he raised the senseless being in his arms and conveyed her into the passage. Toby following with the little boy who seemed to be about five or six years old, surely you're mad, Tom exclaimed, old Death, advancing from the back room to bring strangers into this house. I should be a brute to see a dying woman turned away from the door of this or any other house," said Rainford firmly. "Stand back. Let me have my way. My purse shall satisfy the Bunces for any trouble this business may give them." "Well, well. Be it as you will," growled old Death. And then in a hasty whisper to Betsy Bunce he added, "You'd better let him do as he likes. He's a queer fellow, but very useful." and must not be offended thus advised and cheered moreover by rain's liberal promise of payment mrs bunce suddenly exhibited a vast amount of sympathy on behalf of the poor creature and having fetched a candle from the back room she lighted rainford who carried the still senseless woman in his arms upstairs to a chamber where there was a sordid kind of bed rainford placed his burden on the miserable pallet and Betsy Bunce applied such restoratives as the circumscribed economy of her household furnished. In the meantime, Toby had brought the little boy into the chamber, and the child, hastening towards the bed, exclaimed, "Mamma, dear mamma, speak to me! Why don't you speak to me? The woman opened her eyes languidly, but the moment they encountered the face of the child, they were lighted up with joy, and snatching the little boy to her breast she murmured in a faint tone i thought i had lost you charles i dreamt that we were separated oh my head it seems to split and she pressed her open palm to her forehead with all the appearance of intense suffering we must pause a moment to observe that this woman seemed to be about five-and-thirty years of age That she was dressed in widow's weeds of the coarsest materials and that her entire aspect denoted dreadful privations and great sufferings mental as well as physical the boy was also attired in mourning garments and though his little cheeks were wan and his form emaciated still he was a very interesting child my good woman said tom ray approaching the bed banish all misgivings relative to the present for you shall be taken care of then turning towards mrs bunce he directed her to procure food and to send jacob for a surgeon no no it's useless cried the poor woman alluding to the latter order i feel that i am dying my last hour is come the child threw his arms around her neck and wept piteously oh my god cried the wretched stranger who will now take care of you my poor dear dear little charles i who have been to you as a mother yes you are my mamma my own mamma exclaimed the child his heart ready to burst although he scarcely understood the real nature of the misgivings which oppressed him sir said the woman after a few moments of profound silence during which the sobbings of the boy and the uneasy palpitations of her own breast were alone heard in the chamber sir she said addressing herself abruptly to rainford you spoke to me kindly you look kindly upon me and if i may judge by your countenance you possess a kind heart speak poor woman cried rainford softening almost to tears if there's anything i can do for you confide in me and i swear The gratitude of a dying being is all that i can offer you in return for what i am about to ask interrupted the woman in a faint yet hurried tone for she seemed to feel that she had not long to live draw near sir there and now listen attentively dreadful privation exposure to the cold sleeping in the fields painful wanderings have reduced me to this state and i shall die contentedly nay even happy If I thought I understand you, cried Rain, you are anxious for the welfare of this boy. Compose your mind, banish those painful reflections, I swear to protect him. There was something so earnest and sincere in the manner, the voice, and the countenance of Rainford, who was a creature of the most generous impulses, that the dying woman believed him, and her heart bounded with fervent gratitude. Then, making a sign for Rainford to draw nearer to her still, She collected all her remaining force to utter a few last words, but physical exhaustion almost completely choked her utterance. This boy, she murmured in a faint and dying voice, is not mine. Do not weep, Charles, love. I am not your mamma, although I love you, as if you were my own child. But the moment you were born, in secret and mystery, the nurse brought you to me, all having been so arranged and from that moment i but my god i am dying oh give me strength to declare that your mother is speak speak cried tom rain breathe but the name of this mother i shall catch it and i declare most solemnly oh god she is dead and it was so vain were her last last efforts to give utterance to the name which trembled upon her tongue the death-rattle stifled the words in her throat her eyes glazed her countenance settled in in inanimation and she was no more little charles would not believe that she was really dead to him she only appeared to sleep and this infantine delusion tom rain gradually dissipated making him aware of his sad bereavement in so delicate a manner that a stranger would have believed him to be a father himself as well as an individual of the most upright and noble principles but if rainford's morality was in some points of the most indifferent nature he nevertheless possessed kind feelings and a generous heart and the tears trickled down his cheeks as he exerted himself to console the little stranger Children seem to be endowed with an intuitive power of discrimination between those who would treat them well and those whose dispositions are severe and harsh, and Charles speedily acquired confidence in the good intentions of Rainford. At length, when Tom fancied that he had obtained some degree of influence over the boy's mind, he led him away from the chamber where the poor woman had breathed her last. Old death had remained in the room below and jacob had been sent to fetch a surgeon who now arrived but departed again immediately upon a learning that his services could no longer be rendered available toby and mrs bunce had quitted the chamber of death the moment rain ejaculated Oh god she is dead and thus the child had no leisure to take particular notice of any one save the individual who manifested so much kindness towards him Fearing that the repulsive appearance of old Death might alarm the boy and even fill his mind with misgivings relative to the person who now took charge of him, Rainford stopped in the dark passage downstairs, and calling Mrs. Bunce from the back room, he placed five guineas in her hand, saying, "The burial of that poor creature who has just breathed her last must be your care. See that it is performed decently, and if there are any papers about her person." any proofs of who she is keep them for me be faithful in this respect and what i have now given you may be considered as an earnest of additional recompense rainford then left the house leading the boy by the hand proceeding to the nearest hackney-coach stand tom hired one of the vehicles and desired to be driven to the Elephant and castle previous however to entering the vehicle the thoughtful tom rain purchased some of the very best cakes which a shop in such a neighbourhood could produce and though the little boy kept sobbing as he repeated to himself mamma is dead for he was too young to understand that she had denied this maternity with her dying breath yet he ate greedily of the food for he was famished rainford said but little to him beyond a few occasional cheering and consolatory words as they rode along, because the heavy rumblings of the vehicle rendered it difficult to hear what was uttered within. In about three quarters of an hour the church stopped at the Elephant and Castle, and Rainford, conducting the boy tenderly by the hand, plunged into the maze of streets which form a neighbourhood requiring a detailed description. Anyone who is acquainted with that part of London, or who with the map of the great metropolis before him, takes the trouble to follow us in this portion of our narrative will understand us when we state that almost immediately behind the elephant and castle tavern there is a considerable district totally unexplored by thousands and thousands of persons dwelling in other parts of the english capital this district is now bounded on the north by the new kent road on the east by the kent or greenwich road on the south by walworth and on the west by the walworth road built upon a low damp and unhealthy soil the dwellings of the poor there throng in frightful abundance forming narrow streets half choked up with dirt miserable alleys where the very air is stagnant and dark courts to enter which seems like going into the fetid vault of a church many of the streets that appear to have been huddled together without any architectural plan but merely upon a studied system of crowding together as many hovels as possible have their back windows looking upon ditches the black mire and standing water of which exhale vapours sufficiently noxious to breed a pestilence when the sun shines upon these noisome ditches their surface displays a thousand prismatic hues thrown out by the decomposing offal and putrid vegetables which have been emptied into those open sewers but sewers they cannot be called for instead of carrying off the filth of the neighbourhood those ditches preserve it stagnant a considerable portion of the district we are describing is known by the name of Locks fields and the horrible condition of this locality can only be properly understood by a visit the pen cannot convey an adequate idea of the loathsome squalor of that poverty the heart-rending proofs of that wretchedness and the revolting examples of that utter demoralization which characterize this section of the metropolis. The houses for the most part contain each four rooms, every room serving as the domicile of a separate family. Perhaps one of the members of such a family may be afflicted with some infectious malady. There he must lie upon his flock mattress. his bundle of rags or his heap of straw until he become through neglect so offensive as to render one minute with him intolerable and yet his relatives four five even six in number are compelled to sleep in the same apartment with him inhaling the stench from that mass of putrefaction hearing his groans breathing the steam from his corrupted lungs and swarming with the myriads of loathsome animalcule engendered by the filth of the place. In another room perhaps we shall find some old man living by himself, starving upon the miserable pittance obtained by picking up bones or rags, doing an odd job now and then for a neighbour, and filling up the intervals of such pursuits by begging. His entire furniture consisting of a cup, a kettle, and a knife, no chair no table but with a heap of rubbish in one corner for a bed on which he sleeps with his clothes on in a third room there is most likely a family consisting of a man and his wife who at night occupy one mattress and their grown-up sons and daughters who all pig together upon another shame and decency exist not amongst them because they could never have known either They have all been accustomed from their infancy to each other's nakedness, and as their feelings are brutalized by such a mode of existence, they suffer no scruples to oppose that fearful intercourse which their sensuality suggests. Thus, for we must speak plainly, as we speak the truth, the very wretchedness of the poor, which compels this family commingling in one room, as it were, in one bed, leads to incest horrible revolting incest the fourth room in the house which we take for our example of the dwellings in Locksfield's, fields is occupied by the landlord or landlady or both and there is perhaps no more morality nor cleanliness in their chamber than in either of the others the shops in locks fields are naturally in keeping with the means and habits of their customers beer-shops and public-houses abound the lower and the poorer the locality the greater the number of such establishments but who can wonder crime requires its stimulants and poverty its consolation men drink to nerve themselves to perpetrate misdeeds which are attended with peril women drink to supply that artificial flow of spirits necessary to the maintenance of a career of prostitution and the honest poor drink to save themselves from the access of maddening despair children drink also because they see their parents drink and because they have acquired the taste from their earliest infancy and thus beer-shops and public-houses thrive most gloriously in the most wretched neighbourhoods lock's abounds with small general shops where everything is sold in the minutest detail a pennyworth of sugar a penny farthing worth of tea a farthing candle or a quarter of a pound of bacon for a penny there are also many eating houses where leg of beef soup can be procured for five farthings the bowl the knackers do a good business with the owners of those establishments tripe shops are likewise far from rare and upon their boards and the open windows may be seen gory slices of black-looking liver tongues and brains in a dish sheep's heads huge cow-heels chitterlings piles of horses flesh and rolls of boiled offal upon sticks the two last-mentioned species of article being intended for cat's-meat but the whole heaped pell-mell together loathsome to behold and emitting odours of the most fetid and nauseating description coal-sheds where potatoes and greens may likewise be purchased abound in locksfields, fields as do also pie-shops and that kind of eating-houses where pudding fried in grease stocking pudding and sop in the pan are displayed in the windows to tempt with their succulent appearance the appetites of hungry men passing to their work or of half-famished children wearied of playing in the gutter it is wretched heart-rending to linger on a description of this kind but we must endeavor to make it as complete as possible the generality of the inhabitants of locks fields are in a state of barbarian ignorance 9 tenths of the children even of 10 or 12 years old are unable to read and know not who jesus christ is nor that the saviour of mankind suffered upon the cross to save them as well as the proudest peers or the most brilliant peeresses that shine in the realms of fashion look more closely at the aspect of the population in locke's fields what care is depicted upon the pale cheek of that emaciated woman who is hanging the one change of linen upon the elder bushes skirting the black ditch behind her dwelling And yet she is better off than many of her neighbours, because her family does possess the one change of linen. Behold that man sitting on the threshold of his door, smoking his pipe. His elbows rest upon his knees. He stares vacantly before him. Not even the opiatic influence of tobacco soothes him. He is thinking of what will become of his wife and children when he shall be out of work. Because the job on which he has lately been engaged will be finished on the coming Saturday. His wife comes out to speak to him, and he answers her harshly. His children approach him and endeavour to climb up his knees, but he knocks them away. Yet that man is not brutal by nature. He loves his wife and children, and was even debating within himself whether he should not soon turn thief in order to support them when they thus accosted him and were repulsed. Let another person insult his wife, let a stranger lay a finger upon that man's children, and the demon will be raised within his breast. But he speaks harshly, and treats them all brutally, because he is miserable, because he is dissatisfied with everything, and everybody, because he is reduced to despair. The unfeeling aspect of the cold world around him that world which frowns so sternly upon poverty and smiles so sweetly upon wealth has rendered him unfeeling his hard fate drives him to the public-house talk of the infamy of which that man is guilty in spending a few pence the pence which would buy his children more bread upon beer or gin it is ridiculous that man must drink he must drown his care thought drives him mad and from thought he must therefore fly but whither can he fly the rich and well-to-do have their theatres and places of amusement if a penny tea garden or a penny theatre be opened in locks fields or in any other poor neighbourhood the magistrates must put it down it is a source of demoralisation it is a focus of thieves and prostitutes but the swell mob and flash women frequent the haymarket theatre and the lyceum and the surrey and the victoria ay and covent garden and drury lane theatres also oh cries the magistrate that is very different yes everything in this country is different when the wealthy or the well-dressed are concerned on one side and the poor and the ragged on the other then whither can this pauperized and despairing man in locksfield go to escape the bitterness of his reflections to the public-house or to throw himself into the canal those are the only alternatives is it not dreadful to think that we have a sovereign and a royal family on whom the country lavishes money by hundreds of thousands whose merest whims cost sums that would feed and clothe from year to year all the inhabitants of such a place as Locksfield's. that we also have an hereditary aristocracy and innumerable sleek and comfortable dignitaries of the church, who devour the fruits of the earth and throw the parings and the peelings contemptuously to the poor. In a word, that we have an oligarchy feasting upon the fatted calf and flinging the offal to the patient enduring toiling oppressed millions is it not dreadful we ask to think how much those millions do for royalty aristocracy church and the landed interest and how little how miserably little royalty aristocracy church and landed interest do for them in return but let us go back to thomas rainford and the little boy whom we left on their way to Locks Fields, for it was to this district that the excellent-hearted man was leading his young child as they went along many were the kind words that tom rain uttered to cheer his artless companion come don't cry my little fellow he would say here's another cake and when we get home you shall have something nice for supper are you cold charlie well you shall soon warm yourself by the side of a good blazing fire and to-night you shall sleep in a soft bed and tomorrow morning you shall have some new clothes i'm going to take you where you will find a pretty lady who will be as kind to you as the mamma you have just lost are you tired charlie well i'll take you up and carry you and tom rain lifted the poor child in his arms and kissed away the tears which ran down his cheeks the boy threw his little arms around the neck of this kind protector and said oh you are as good to me as my dear papa was and how long has your papa been dead charlie asked rainford supposing the child meant by his father the husband of the woman who had died that evening in toby bunce's house not very long but i don't know how long was the reply oh stay i think i heard mamma say this morning that he died six months ago and where did you live then charlie at a cottage near a great town Um. oh i remember winchester winchester cried rainford i know all that part of the country well or at least i ought to do so he murmured to himself with a profound sigh but what made you leave your cottage when papa was buried mamma had no money replied the child and some naughty people came at last and took away all the things in the cottage and turned mamma and me out of doors and then mamma cried so much oh so much and we were very often hungry after that and we sometimes had no bed to sleep in poor little fellow cried rainford hugging the child closer still to his breast what was your papa's name watts and my name is charlie watts said the boy at this moment rainford stopped at one of the few decent-looking houses in locke's fields and knocked at the door which was immediately opened by a young and beautiful woman who appeared overjoyed at his return i've brought you a present in the shape Of this poor little boy, said Rainford as he entered the house. If you wish to please me, you will behave to him as kindly as I shall. The young woman took Charlie in her arms and kissed him, as a proof that Tom's request should be attended to. And Rainford, well pleased at that demonstration, closed to the street door behind him. End of section nine. Recording by Gray Clayton.